Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Hi, welcome back to our podcast, The Ugly Truth About the Girl Next Door. I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. And today we are talking about um, a bigger connection to my personal story, but also that includes kind of a broader look of uh, what's going on nationally in a specific organization um, called ACBC, which is the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Tell us what ACBC is, Lori. So uh, my understanding of ACBC is that it is a licensing and training agency um, where they don't only counsel um, from a biblical perspective, but they are actively training new counselors. Um, So this is an organization that um, specifically looks to train counselors from a, I think, mostly kind of a nuthetical or biblical, strict biblical perspective. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so just to kind of loop it into what we've been talking about so that our, our listeners understand why we're doing this today. Um, so Kevin Backus, who is the current pastor of Bible Presbyterian Church on Grand Island, who is also my mother's brother-in-law, so he's my uncle, um, He is on the board of directors, as well as the person who's responsible for responding to um, complaints in the ACBC organization. Right. He's responsible for investigating complaints. Once it gets past the initial response, he's the one who's tasked with investigating the validity of concerns about complaints against ACBC counselors. Right. So when, like, a counselee has a concern about a counselor... Um, So let's also just go back and remember that um, Kevin Backus is not only an offender himself, but also someone who uh, created opportunity for trafficking to happen in the church and who also was the person after my first escape attempt, when I disclosed at the Christian school that I was going to, um, he, he intervened. His wife, Sharon, was on staff there. She was a teacher, a first grade teacher at Christian Central Academy. Um... When I disclosed about my dad, he intervened and then ultimately is the one who made the recommendation for me to see a uh, ACBC biblical counselor in Canada of all places. Right. Because right. that's right. That's yeah. where you go to get all the Got to go all the way to Canada. Yeah. Across the border. That's fine. Uh, we're not going to get into that counseling experience in this episode because we also have a guest with us who's going to talk about her ACBC counseling experience. Um, but the the gist of that whole thing, which we will talk about in a future episode, is basically forgive and most importantly, forget that the abuse happened. There was a lot of programming, a lot of things that were going on that were super detrimental to um, to that failed escape time. So 
Today, though, we have with us um, Amanda. So hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hello. I'm so glad to be here. Good. So Amanda is going to share with us today her experience. Um, I'm not, I don't want to say it for you. So yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah, introduce yourself. Well, I am Amanda and I had, um, I experienced biblical counseling when I was 17 at one of the ACBC hubs. At that time, ACBC was called NAC, which standed for the National Association of Neuthetic Counselors. They renamed themselves in 2013 <laughs> because they'd gotten so much bad press. And so they thought changing oh. their name. So Heath Lambert was the executive director at that time. And he decided, hey, we've gotten bad press. Let's change our name. And then we can say that this stuff never happened. Right. But it's the same people, the same people on the boards. My counselors are still on these boards. Um, they mm -hmm. teach at the conferences. It's the same people. Bacchus was in NAC, and now he's in ACBC. Literally all that changed was the name. And you can go online and see their news report about that. So we are going to, throughout this discussion, we're going to kind of intersperse quotes from the ACBC materials, from their handbooks, from their course materials, quotes from online videos, just so everybody understands that we're not just talking about a one-off event. So Amanda is talking about that the people who are directly involved in her experience are in leadership of ACBC and are still in leadership and are still teaching the new batch of ACBC counselors. This is not just one bad apple. This is not just one person, one counselor who didn't do it right. This is a systematic approach. Yeah, this is fun. Their fundamental training materials is what, yeah. Is in what fact, happens. if you go online and look at them, my counselor is introduced as a sex abuse counselor expert. She is the person that you go to if you want to understand how to counsel someone who has been sexually abused. Okay, uh, so whoo. let's back up for a second. Can you tell us a little bit about your abuse experience, just as much as you're comfortable with? Uh, my father started abusing me when I was nine years old. Um, when I was 15, I became concerned for other people and disclosed that abuse. Um, the pastor of our church tried to kind of cover it up. Locks were put on my doors. Eventually, someone else finds out and calls the police. Um, lawyers get involved, and I am never talked to by Child Protective Services um, because CPS works out a deal with the lawyers that they're busy and they'll leave us alone as long as my father moves out of the house until I'm 18. And so he moves out of the house. And at that time, it's determined that I need to be sent to biblical counseling. And my dad needs to go to biblical counseling so we can have a restored family. And that's that was the goal. the goal. Not that's necessarily goal. safety. It's restoration. Correct. It's restoration. It's getting me on board with feeling like he's okay. Can you talk a little bit about how that felt to you at the time? Well, in some ways, I'm a Christian girl surrounded by supposedly... Christian families. And so I didn't want to be the odd one out. You know, everyone else is a perfect family. I wanted a perfect family. So if we could make my family perfect, that would be great. But at the same time, I didn't understand how that could work. There are other people around that are in danger. Um, there would be children at our house having sleepovers regularly. I had younger siblings. There were just many people. And I didn't understand 
what we could do to make that safe. So let me just check this. So at 15 years old, you understood that a person who did this to you would be at risk for doing it to other children, but somehow the adults around you failed to acknowledge that that was a concern. In fact, I told them that I saw activities that indicated to me there was already other abuse happening. I was told that literally the verse that was used was, you need to take a log out of your own eye before you look at the speck at your brother's. Yes. Okay. Just as long as, as the perpetrator repents and asks for forgiveness and as long as you can forgive and forget, right. Forget that it ever happened to you. Then everybody is safe. Yes. That's the message, right? That is the message. (laughs) Amanda, can you go back and talk about counseling happened? I'm assuming like just you. So ACBC or NANC at the time would not counsel minors alone. So I was in the room with my mom. So kids were never given an opportunity to meet with an adult without their parent present. That is my understanding is that an adult had to be present if a minor was being counseled. My mom would have allowed me to go further than the counselor allowed me because my mom was concerned as well. Okay. So you, can you talk about your individual counseling experience? Yeah. So the first day I get there and I'm hopeful and I start to, so she asks me for information and I start to talk and she interrupts me and says, you sound really angry. And so we need to work on that. And you know what else? If you're angry, that shows you're not trusting God very well Mm -hmm. because God allows whatever happens to you to happen. Uh, So that's Mm -hmm. the way it started. In ACBC counseling or NAT counseling, homework is kind of the central part of what happens. So the counselors decide what needs to be worked on and then they give you homework. The beginning of my homework was a list of ways that my dad who'd been sexually abusing me since I was nine years old and never was an involved parent before that. Abusers don't just start abusing. They're they're not good parents and then they start abusing. Um, But I was to go home and make a list of the ways he blessed my life. Mm. And the other thing I was to do that week was to make a list of everything I did all day, every day, and to come back with those lists. The next week when I came back, I became confused because as she went over the list, she started criticizing things on the list. Why did you spend so much time doing this? Was this a good use of your time? Could you do something better? Do you think that there's anything in here that you were sinning with? And so looking back, I believe that that was the beginning of convincing me that because I'm not perfect, I need to be able to forgive others. This is the approach taken to treat a sexually assaulted child. I would like to read a quote from, so uh, John Babbler, who is an ACBC board member, it wrote in 2019 a, a, an article, a blog, what, I don't know what it was, but the title of it was PTSD Memories and Biblical Counseling. So I'm going to quote from that. What he said is, memories may be very challenging and prominent to those dealing with trauma, and they should not be minimized. They can, however, be a distraction from the real issue. As Henry Brandt said, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. When counseling these, those struggling with memories related to trauma, the counselor must be careful not to focus primarily on the traumatic event or memories, but rather on God and his word. The traumatic memories can be a distraction from God and his word. The focus was on you and your heart, the, not the problem of abuse. It would be wrong for me to think about that problem. 
Right. That's the message. And yep. I, and I want to highlight that was your experience. And it sure seems to be what's implied in that quote. Yeah. It's not even just your perspective or what you experience. Not that that wouldn't be valid, but it's literally written in their training materials that this is the way that they, they view that this should be, you know. In um, the executive director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, Curtis Solomon, in 2019, he wrote a book, Counseling Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Um, and what he said is the primary goal in counseling is to help someone glorify God by walking in a manner worthy of the call they have been called to. We want to help them to move along in the process of becoming more like Jesus. I like to use the concept of moving them from post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic sanctification. <laughs> what happened next, Amanda? So for the next three and a half months, I went weekly to counseling. Um, and counseling kind of continued the same way. There would be arguments. I would ask about safety. I would, um, verses would be quoted at me. I would question what she was saying. Um, there were times that we would almost get in a who knows the Bible better battle because what she was saying isn't what I thought the Bible said. And one day in frustration, she looked at me and said, a wise person listens to counsel, but a fool thinks he needs no advice. So just sit down and be quiet, basically. Do what you're told. Do what you're told. So don't think, don't use your brain. We're telling you what to do and you need to do what you're told. Even though what they were telling you to do didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense to me. And people who knew me at the time would describe me as a shy person. I was not combative. I was more quiet and shy and I did not stand up to anyone. Um, you know, I was <laughs> what these groups would consider what you want a woman to be, you know, quiet and meek. And mm. so to do this was not in my personality. Um, but it was so, I just didn't understand. And I thought, she must not be understanding what the problem is. She must be missing something. And so I just have to get her to understand. And if I get her to understand, maybe she'll help me. And it didn't work. Right. Because there is a top-down wrong thinking, wrong theology, wrong teaching going on here. So Correct. she was frustrated with you. So then what? A family member died and there was a funeral. I haven't seen my dad in almost a year because CPS has said until she's 18, we won't get involved as long as they're not together. Um, so my siblings were still seeing him at different places, but I was not. And my siblings don't know why, by the way, they have no idea why. Oh, that's even safer. Um, so why it couldn't be talked about? No, because talking about it is wrong. So absolutely not. They know for some reason there was some involvement with CPS and now dad's not living with us, but no one knows why. Although everyone knows it's connected to me somehow. It, it's right. just no one, you know, everyone in our circles knew that there was something going on with me, It, but no one knew what. But some, uh, let me just, something going on with you mm. felt the same way in that the people around us knew that something was going on with me. My own brother would say, well, I always, you know, mom and dad would tell me something was going on with Kate. Not, that's not even, doesn't even begin to describe what's actually happening. But yes, that's, that's something <laughs> right. going on with you. And be quiet about it. Don't uh -huh. tell anyone. You'll ruin everyone else's life. Literally something that was told to you? Oh, I was literally told that if I said anything, that my dad would lose his job 
And then no one would let their five younger siblings' friends come over to the house. So people knew that other parents wouldn't want their kids there. (laughs) Right. But it wasn't the other parents' right to have the information. Right. Because all these leaders know better. Because the perpetrator has more rights than the victim. So I want to quote. So Jay Adams. um, So Amanda, tell us who Jay Adams was. He died in 2020, correct? Correct. Jay Adams is called the father of biblical counseling. So Jay Adams, actually in the 1960s, he was asked to teach a class at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia and getting on counseling. And so getting ready for that class, he had six weeks to prepare. And in that six weeks, he realized he didn't think that psychologists were doing anything worth it, but he decided that the Bible was what we needed. And he wrote a book called Competent to Counsel. And in it, he argues that every Christian is competent to counsel any issue because they have the Bible and that is all they need. And that's what founded this whole movement is Jay Adams' work. Okay, well, we're going to quote Jay Adams. So this is from the 2010 edition of the Christian Counselor's Handbook, which is the newest edition um, that is still used to train ACBC counselors. So in this, Jay Adams is quoted to say, On occasions, there may continue to be some fear that the same transgression may be committed again. This may be true, particularly where a sexual offense, such as adultery, homosexuality, or incest has occurred. It is understandable and proper that the offended party should be somewhat wary for a time. Nevertheless, under proper conditions, forgetting even of such unsettling offenses will take place more rapidly than at first may be expected. So... There's so much in that that is horrendous. Number one, let's compare adultery to incest. No, let's not. And we're calling incest an unsettling offense. And the statement here is that we're looking for um, reconciliation, restoration to be happening quickly. Not just that it happens at all, but that it should happen quickly. Right. And Adams, in his early work, kind of suggests that any problem can be solved and maybe six to eight counseling sessions. Any oh. problem. Um, including incest. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Including serial pedophilia. Mm. Mm. If you need more than six to eight weeks, you're probably doing something wrong. Okay. And I, don't, I think most ACBC counselors would not say that today. But that was the foundation of the movement. Right. Right. And these are materials that are still being used to teach counselors. Absolutely. And if you go to most conservative seminaries and look at their counseling um, requirements, this book will be on the list. So most pastors out there, if they're in like the conservative evangelical kind of sphere, have probably read the book or have friends who have read the book who will. Well, yes, because Kevin Backus is still teaching counseling classes to pastors and counselors at multiple seminaries and multiple universities. So yeah, that tracks. Really want to make sure that people understand that this is your personal experience and it is also a systematic problem. Right. And I think that's really important. It's not a one-off and it's not from a counselor who doesn't know what they're doing. It's what is taught in the book mm-hmm. and it's from people being counselors today. message was like, yes, don't, don't worry about that. Don't look over here. Like, you know, we know you're concerned about other people, but shh, don't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So then what? 
There's this family that, and right coming in for counseling in an hour, we're all going to meet together and we're going to have a reconciliation. Uh-huh. So I'm at a big training facility. So they train counselors. And so we get taken to a room I've never been to. Um, I'm, my dad is, and his counselor and counselor trainer are sitting kind of to my right. There's my mom. And then there's me and we're all on these folding chairs. And there on my left, there's like two rows of folding chairs. And after I sit down, all of a sudden the door opens and probably a dozen people at least walk in with their dinner because this is dinner time. And they don't, you know, there was nothing scheduled this time. So they got us in specially. And these dozen people walked in with their dinner and sat down. Oh, my goodness. And just watched. So I'm this shy high schooler in a room with probably 15 to 20 adults and my father who I haven't seen in months and don't really want to see my father's counselor Jay Adams is the founder of biblical counseling my father's counselor was his friend and he helped with a lot of the founding and a lot of the creating of training organizations um and he's died recently as well um so he's not a nobody he's one of the founders as well Uh, The counselor looks at my father and says, is there something you want to say? And he kind of hems and haws. And finally, the counselor looks at him and says, don't you mean? And then the counselor continues. And my father repeats the words. And then he goes, "Mm, uh, mm." and then the counselor gives him another line and he repeats it. And that goes on, you know, for maybe a minute. And then the counselor turns and looks at me and says, so what, so do you forgive him? So I'm just like, let's get out of here. And so I just give, you know, kind of a little nod. I don't say anything. And then the counselor prays and I get to leave and go home. After I nodded, he said, and so that was a promise that you will never think about it again to yourself. You'll never bring it up to him again. And you'll never bring it up to anyone else. So you'll never tell anyone else. So your father stutters over some scripted words, makes no amends, doesn't do anything to prove that he is not a danger any longer. And you are to never think about it, never talk about it, never bring it up to him again. And if you do, it's you, that's the problem. And you're sinning now. So let me quote again from Jay Adams. Um, Again, this is also in that handbook. He said, if forgetting in time does not follow forgiving, the counselor ought to look for the reason. He also said, forgiveness is the promise not to raise the issue again to the offender, to others, or to himself. Brooding is a violation of the promise made in granting forgiveness. Again, Jay Adams also said, in counseling the offended one, the counselor may discover that although speaking of forgiveness, the party wishes to make the offender suffer more. Again, the implication is, what's wrong with you that you won't just forgive and forget? Mm -mm. This is, again, in the printed materials. This is not just... A bad situation right. 20 years ago, a group of counselors who did the wrong thing in one city, in one church. This is the overarching current day material that's being taught nation, actually worldwide, to be yeah. honest. there's I looked up, like, find a counselor on ACBC's website, and it's literally worldwide. My this counselors travel people. internationally to teach this. And we wonder why abuse is rampant in churches. And why people don't feel safe coming forward to church people. After the reconciliation, my dad's counselor prayed for the day 
where I would bring my daughters oh my and God. sit him on my father's lap and that that would demonstrate full reconciliation. It makes me shake. I am so glad that even at 15, 17, 18, you were wiser than the full grown adults around you. Yeah, that is for sure. So Amanda, what happened after that? Okay, time to forgive and move on meeting. So the next week, um, my counselor was so excited to begin on family re reunification. And I looked at her and I said, how is this safe? How are these other people going to be safe? What is the plan? And she's like, oh, well, here you go. And she gave me a book. Um, I believe it's called The Meaning of Marriage. I think it's a pamphlet. It's not like a huge book, but it's, you know, maybe 20 pages. Um, it was not in print at the time. So it was actually printed off. Mm. Um, my father, it was written by my father's counselor and he thought that I should read it. And this book um, basically told, said that if a woman in a marriage was not aggressively seeking out sex, she was in sin and that would cause her husband to fall into temptation. And so I was told that that I was sinned against because my mom did not fulfill her duties. Can we just reiterate? So I was told mm -hmm. that I was abused because my mom did not fulfill her duties to have sex with my dad. So the only person not being held responsible here is, is the, the actual person doing the abusing. Right. My safety could be assured because my mom was now making a commitment to follow these guidelines and aggressively pursue sex regularly. So did you just accept that and move on? No, I continued questioning it because it just did not make sense to me that that would solve it didn't compute and again get verses and um perfect love cast out fear was something that was repeatedly said to me i was fearful because i was not perfectly loving my father so if i perfectly loved my father the fear would be gone and placing the onus back on you to do something different so that he doesn't perpetrate any it doesn't even make sense does not make sense. It makes the victim need to be the savior. This went on for, I, I think, two more weeks. Mm -hmm. And during that mm -hmm. second week, she finally said, I have a lot of important things to do. You are just wasting my time. And I need to be faithful to God and do the things that he's given to me and spend my time on people who are willing to be helped. And so I don't think I can help you and you don't need to come to counseling anymore. Okay, so you were fired from counseling. So again, I want yep. to quote the intake form from uh, Bible Presbyterian Church in which, you know, again, with the same type of counseling, um, all counseling will be conducted in accordance with the pastor's understanding of the scriptures. Your counseling will be biblical, pastoral, in which scriptures are used in all cases as the final authority. If you are unwilling to use the Bible as the final authority in counseling, sessions will be terminated. <laughs> So you get current that day. Yeah. Again, that is that's current, current day. day. Go on their website and check it out. That's not 20 years ago. That's today. Mm. That's and it's the not, form you'd have to sign. Counseling isn't counsel. Like when I counsel someone, I give them advice and they can choose to accept it or not, or choose to weigh it and say, well, I think this is right. And this is not right. It is dictatorial. You will yeah. do this or 
or you're out. You, you're fired. You don't even deserve counseling. Okay. So I do feel like there is a little more nuance in what is being put out there by ACBC counselors. Now there is more nuance. Yes. Um, that does not mean, however, that there isn't still a distortion of the message and that there, it's a matter of emphasis in some ways, right? So is forgiveness important for healing? Yes, forgiveness, that doesn't mean necessarily restored relationship. Forgiveness that says, I'm not going to be the person who continue to make myself crazy by being infuriated by your bad behavior. I'm shaking off the dust and moving on. Yeah, that is important for the counselee for their own sake, yes. But the emphasis on forgiveness as if you don't, then you're sinning, that's a problem. There's just a lot in what is currently even being taught that is problematic in its emphasis. So back to John Babbler, who um, wrote PTSD Memories and Biblical Counseling, he said, an overarching challenge and goal of ministering to people who have memories of trauma is to help them take the focus off the trauma and themselves. Reminding them they have hope is important. Romans 8, 28, and 29 can be used to help them see that God will bring good out of evil, specifically that they will become more like Christ. Romans 15, 4 ties hope specifically to scripture and is a good verse to work through as well. Again, it's the emphasis on don't worry about it. Bad things happen to you, but there will be good that comes out of it. That, again, not that that can't be an acceptable at some point conversation to see sort of where am I getting on with my life? But it's the emphasis on that as opposed to it's okay to recognize that you've been harmed and that you're struggling and that it's okay to talk about that. What happened after you were fired from counseling? Years later, um, I learned that my concern was correct and there were other victims. Mm. Oh, heartbreaking. It could have been prevented if adults had listened. Mm -hmm. To a shy, quiet, inclined to be obedient teenager who had the good sense to realize that what was being said didn't make sense, but somehow the adults didn't get it. So did you ever address these concerns with ACBC, like beyond? I did. Um, more recently, in very recent years, I contacted first the counseling center where I received my counseling. Um, mm. And I was told, that's not the way we counsel. I can't imagine that ever happened us even have any memories of you being counseled here and you know later when they talked to ct um ct Chris, is in christianity, christianity today. today yes sorry when they talked so to did we, i don't i don't know if we talked about that amanda that your experience was chronicled in the christianity today article yes it was in, in 2019 okay um, my a little bit of my experience was talked about in an article on reconciliation and counseling. But before that came out, I contacted the counseling center and talked to them. Um, and it, it was just shocking to me that they would say they have no specific memories of me being there. When Christianity Today talked to them, they acknowledged that I'd been there and said she had maybe come with her mom to a couple sessions. <laughs> I was there weekly. And I know I was there weekly for at least four months because I didn't just go with my mom to a couple sessions. And so, you know, I waited for several months and thought about it. And then I decided, you know, she is being introduced as the expert on sex abuse. She is um, speaking at national conferences. She's even running 
one of the biggest conferences that ACPC has every year. Like she's in charge of planning it and speaks multiple times at it. Someone needs to address this more than that. And so I contacted ACBC and they have a complaint form that you can go to. And so that complaint form to uh, another board member, a high level board member, and he responded and said, you need, have you addressed this with the counseling agency? And I responded, yes, I have. And so then he went and talked to the counseling agency and came back and said, oh, I don't think you've talked about this enough. This has not been following Matthew 18 well enough. And so you need to be willing to meet with them. And, oh, you know, when I talked to the counseling center originally, they'd offered for me to come to their property mm-hmm. and meet with my counselor and their pastor. And if I wanted to bring an ACBC person along with me, I could. And I responded, what about, you know, like another pastor that I trusted? I have to be ACBC. And they ignored that. Um, basically, they wanted me to come with only ACBC people, no one else. Oh. That offer is again made to me. And then when I again say to him, can I bring a pastor um, that I trust instead? Because I know pastors who I do trust that it could come. He responded, you know what, I think it'd be better if you see another ACBC counselor and if they decide that there's really been an offense, they can lead a reconciliation meeting with you. Have the, from the inside, we're going to, we're going to investigate themselves. Right. That's so did you agree to do it their way? You know, I did not. I, I did not think it was wise. Um, go to a meeting with only their people where I would have no witnesses to what and occurred. No support. And no support. It just seemed really unwise. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So it just died there? It, it, it did. Um, and then a, some, I got to know someone else, and they asked me to talk to a Christianity Today reporter about it. And so there was that article, and that article, it caused a lot of in the counseling center that I went to because I was, and it caused enough angst that they in fact contacted the president of Christianity today or they, and asked them to change bits of the article. And I don't know what was changed because I was not, I did not see anything before it was printed, but I know that there was a claim made by ACBC people that they were able to get things changed from the article. Well, later, after Christianity Today article comes out, um, AC counselor who who was counseling someone who disclosed that she was physically abusing her children, um, and the counselor was going to report it, and the pastor of the counseling agency she worked for said, no, don't do that. This case currently is in criminal court. for multiple felonies. It's one of those cases where you would see on the news got children who's being starved and being physically abused. This is the case that she saw um, and was told by a pastor to not report. Um, And it is, I believe, going to trial this summer. So this is a recent case. We're not talking 20 years ago. We're talking this is recent. And the pastor told her not to call CPS over what was disclosed to her in a counseling session. And again, this is an ACBC pastor. Yes, this is an ACBC licensed center. She ends up being able to get an investigation into the center. I 
but the investigation, she's told there's going to be an investigation. And then a week, some weeks go by. And then she's told by the pastor at the church that she's attending, hey, I just heard Kevin Backus is coming to town next week to investigate. And she's <laughs> like, oh, I haven't heard anything. Interesting. I bet he'll call me. Nothing. And a, a couple weeks later, she hears back from the original person that both of us were in contact with and is told uh, the charges were not substantiated um, and there's really no concern. And really, you know, the ACBC documents say that you're supposed to report abuse. And so you should have just reported abuse anyway. And all of that was not our fault. So it was basically laid at the feet of the counselor herself and not looking at the structural problems like the pastor who was the head of the ACBC Counseling Center. Even though she'd gone against the pastor's orders and reported, she did report. Oh, she um, did report. She did report, not, I think maybe not immediately, but she reported, you know, within a week. Um, okay, so I want to just clarify. So the concern was not that the counselor herself had not made the CPS report. It was that she had been told by the pastor who was the head of the ACBC counseling center to not report. Correct. Got it. And that they went and they talked to them and they saw that the papers that the counseling center had said to report. And so it was determined that that hadn't happened because their papers said that you should even talk to her about it. They just substantiated and she was never spoken to by Bacchus. So, you know, directly from her, that although she's the one who made the report that there that an abuse allegation had been mishandled by the counseling center, she was not directly spoken to in the investigation. Correct. Okay. Again, that's recent. Right. It's currently waiting criminal trial, you know, in the next couple months. So it is a current case. Okay. So there, again, is for anybody who's thinking, okay, well, can, should we be about things that happened 20 years ago? First off, we should be worried about things that happened 20 years ago because there are still people like Amanda and Kate who are living through the impact of biblical counselors, ACBC specifically, who mishandle abuse allegations. But there continue to be problems with how ACBC counseling centers and some counselors are handling these concerns. And if you look at even they had a um, conference on abuse, I believe, four years ago um, at John MacArthur's church in California is where it happened. And in that there are multiple sessions where the same definition for forgiveness that I was given were used. So it's not like they've moved on from this definition of forgiveness as an organization. They're still using it. The other thing that I think is really important is um, organization has structurally moved on from handling abuse this way, but they know that it used to be handled that way. The response should be like, be, it didn't happen. Right. The response should be, Oh my, what can we do to help? And maybe even an organizational investigation from an outside source as counselors thinking about, hey, where have I counseled like this? And going back, going back and making things right in some way, not it didn't happen. So many times, like what is it that we're really looking for the church to do? 
frankly, at this point, we're not looking for the church to do anything anymore. We're kind of tired of asking the church to do anything. But when we've been asked, the answer is for them to humbly acknowledge that they got it wrong and actually have a demeanor of sorrow about that. Where, where is that? And that's what you're talking about for ACBC also. Okay, hopefully we are all growing and developing over time, even organizations, right? So, okay, we can all acknowledge that there have been times when we've gotten it wrong, whatever it is. But as an, an entire organization, when your policies and practices were harming already vulnerable, you have an obligation to go back and humbly acknowledge where you've gotten it wrong. But just like that doesn't mean in the counseling session with your dad, where the counselor gave him the lines to say, an apology is also not that, right? So again, back to what we've dealt with, with David Drake and the chapel trying to say that, well, David Drake apologized to Kate. No, no, David Drake did not apologize to Kate. <laughs> David, David Drake wrote a very poorly written, horrible email apology that literally my six-year-old could have written better. And then when we went back with our edits, then he came back, basically the same thing as actually apologizing. You are part of an organization that said that everyone was competent to counsel. And you've learned, oh, we really were not competent to do this, or we really messed up. There's a time that you need to sit back and say, was our foundation wrong? Mm -hmm. Were we doing something wrong from the very beginning? Are we doing something wrong? Are there other places that we're missing where we're way off base? You don't just continue having conferences and continue training people if you acknowledge you've gotten it so wrong. Well, there's also, we're not getting into all the materials, all the ACBC materials that are out there, of course, but in my reading, I see a lot of questioning current day brain science research, a lot of ACBC materials questioning the validity of trauma memories and, you know, questioning whether or not memories can be considered reliable. Lots of emphasis on, um, well, you know, you have to be very careful about, you know, listening to what people are saying, essentially. It's membership covenant. You have to sign every year as an ACBC counselor that you believe that psychology has no benefit. There's nothing that we can gain from psychology. What? So I'm glad. This is actually the reason why we had to do that episode in the very beginning of the podcast about is Lori a Christian? Right. Because <laughs> right. brain science and the Bible don't really mesh. So apparently. Um, is where would a busy pastor find the time to devote to such extended counseling? What is good stewardship of his time? Could I ever become competent to counsel? As a matter of fact, stern warnings against counseling anyone with difficulties more serious than a psychic scratch studded the pages of books and pamphlets published by the Mental Health Association. Pastors were threatened with the possibility of doing serious harm to people if they did not refer. Yes, you are, in fact, at risk of doing serious harm if you don't refer out to a competent, trained counselor. Licensed, licensed by the state in which you reside. So let me also think has kind of the overarching concerns, right? Yeah, Just to like recap it all for our audience. Uh, so obviously, one, the lack of outrage when it comes to abuse, which we've been talking about for a year, right? Where is the outrage, right, in the church? 
to the sin leveling, right? Why are we equating somebody who is maybe not um, saying, it's fine, I'm going to forgive and forget. Why are we equating that with a sex offender? Right. And then allowing them access to children once they have been forgiven. (laughs) So... Uh, third, the lack of immediate direct expectation of reporting. Right. The comments are, you might need to, that's in their printed materials. While you might need to bring in outside authorities. And there is, there are current day ACBC presentations that talk about the combining of effort of bringing in outside authorities with the church also being involved in discipline within the church. Um, but it's not a given that if you're, if an abuse allegation comes to you that you should report. For blaming the wife. Right <laughs> fault that the daughter was desirable to the husband. Ugh. I know. I can't even believe I just said that. No. Um, yeah. Fifth, putting sexual abuse of children together with adultery and homosexuality. Six, must forgive and equating it with forget, which again, including don't talk about it. So forgive it, forget it, and literally never, ever, ever shed light uh, at all ever again on your own brain and anyone else's brain. Don't talk about it. Don't bring it up. It never happened. And it never concerns don't mean happened. Anything. It never happened. Right. Nothing. Eight, focus on reconciliation rather than safety. Because everybody back together again. If we're not worried about safety. Nine, willingness to accept apologetic words without fruit that is demonstrated humbly over time. Again, it's it's the counselor feeding the words that they're supposed to say in order to then what receive forgiveness. Tenth, dismissing the brain and memory science, which we know is accurate and true. And there's been like the accountability for ACBC counselors and that they can recognize. So we know we're being uh, pretty salty in this episode because we've been sort of steeped in looking at this material Mm -hmm. in preparation for this episode and the frustration of finding that, these events happened for Amanda and Kate long time ago, 20 years ago. Um, and to find that the materials continue to be in agreement with those old practices, it's not like ACBC as a system has moved on from this approach. Now, does it always look like that? I don't think so. I think that there are some ACBC counselors out there who have figured out that responding appropriately to abuse victims is important. So there are some that are out there, some that I saw quoted, um, but we cannot ignore the fact that the printed materials, the an awful lot of the videos that are out there by ACBC counselors and leaders continue to ascribe to these principles. Oh, and by the way, Kevin Backus, one of their board members and very important VIP people in their realm allowed for the sex trafficking of his niece to occur at his church, as well as tons of other abuse claims by other people. Thankful to know that it's not just me. And I'm also disgusted to know that it's not just me. Right. So yes, yes, there is salt in my voice because yes, it's like, oh my gosh, it wasn't me. It wasn't because of me. It wasn't because I sinned or did it wrong. And it wasn't me that was, you know, this counselor that I saw in Canada is telling me that it's, it's my fault. It's my problem. You're the one that needs to forgive. 
and forget and put it behind you. It's not me though. It's it, the problem is, is much bigger than me. And yet I'm also, I want to throw up because the, the problem is much bigger than me. So I'm not sure which is either easier to accept. Right. No. Right. And we come from very different geographical areas. It's not like right. we're next to each other and seeing the same people. This is right. Right. Half right. the country away from each other. Exactly. Kind of nope. Yeah. This is not a Grand Ellen, New York problem. This is an overarching systemic problem. Um, and I, yeah, I just, that that's the salt is I don't know how to grapple with that. And current day victims who are sitting in pews who desperately need help and support and encouragement and safety. And where's the church? Right. Like I said, and specifically how, this kind of stuff is a breeding ground mm. for the next level, the next step, right? It's the breeding ground for the ritualistic abuse and the trafficking that did take place on Grand Island in New York. Uh, more about that in our next episode. But this Amanda, system makes it easier. <laughs> oh, yeah. thank you so much um, for talking with. It was. Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad for this work. It needs to be exposed because there are people that need help now. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for being brave. Yeah. Stay tuned. And for being such an amazing teenager. You just completely I'm sorry. wrecked my e exit. Okay, try again. Stay tuned. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.